Today in, in the liturgical year, is we call this Christ the King Sunday. It's the last Sunday before Advent when we celebrate or prepare ourselves to celebrate the birth of the King, the inauguration of a new kingdom. And at this description of the last judgment, this story, this separation of the sheep from the goats in the day of last judgment is in the lectionary and it's because we see a vision in which Christ imagines himself at the end of the fulfillment of all things. When Christ is seated on the throne as king and he lays out this wonderful image. Now the story that Bill shared with us is one that <clears throat> is given special emphasis in the Gospels. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has five long narratives, uh, teachings that he gives. The first one is the Sermon on the Mount, which starts with the blessings. And the last one is Matthew 23 through 25, and its climax is the story that we just heard. In Matthew 23, it starts out with woes or curses on the, the Pharisees for their hypocrisy because they were religious people who were scrupulously attentive to trying to be a religiously observant down to very small details, but in the fundamental matters of justice and mercy, they were neglectful. Then Matthew 24 goes on and through that and, the, and Matthew 25, it, Six parables Jesus shares, all on living responsibly and on being ready for the coming of the Son of Man, the righteous judge, the one whose kingdom would be without end. And after those six parables, we have this, not exactly a parable, but a, a, a depiction, a vision of Jesus laying out what it would be like in those last days when God's rule on heaven is fully realized on earth, when heaven and earth are one. And from my earliest days as a child, this formed such a vivid picture in my head, not only from hearing this story, but also from hearing stories uh, that were put into children's books by Leo Tolstoy. I want to share one with uh, reference in a minute and um, by reading short story by Leo Tolstoy. By the way, that short story called Where Love Is, There God Is was written by Tolstoy in 1885. It's a wonderful story and I've uploaded it to the King Avenue Facebook page if you wanna um, kick off your celebration of Advent at home by reading that, I highly recommend it. And also there's a new version and a children's story out right now which uh, should be lovely to share as a family. So here Jesus is uh, depicting his final triumphal seated at the throne with the angels surrounding him. And then all the nations, all the different kinds of peoples of the earth are gathered around. And he starts a separation of people who will fit in with the kingdom and people who will not. And uh, sheep and goats. And as a child, when I pictured it, 
the sheep were neatly over here and the goats were neatly over here. But <clears throat> I uh, no longer picture it that way. Went to a mission trip with uh, youth to uh, a farm in uh, Massachusetts run by Heifer Project International. And it was a place where you had an opportunity to learn about world hunger and the, the larger forces that are impacting people's access to food. And while we were there having those classes, we also took care of animals and produce on the farm. So part of our job every day was taking the sheep and the goats to pasture and then getting them back in for the night. And how many of you have ever tried doing this? Don't know. But let me just tell you, sheep and goats behave very, very differently. Sheep are very, very easy to herd. They're pretty obedient naturally. Um, if you have uh, someone in front and just a few people, you know, coaxing the strays in, you can move a large group of sheep uh, from the pen back to the barn with not too many problems. This is not the case with goats at all. Goats do exactly what they want to, when they want to do it, and it takes almost one uh, shepherd kind of person per goat to get goats actually from the pen back into the barn. So now when I picture that final judgment, I see the sheep all neatly over here and the goats just milling around, people talking together. But that story had a big impact on me the words of Jesus echoing through my head growing up. I was thinking about that story and Jesus' answer to the sheep and to the goats when my sister called me a few weeks ago. Out of the blue, she uh, called and, and um, wouldn't you know, she wanted a fast answer to a complicated question. She said, hey, um, you know, my daughter and I, we are, we're driving on this certain route and we've been regularly passing by a guy who has a sign that says, hungry will work for food. And I've rolled down my window and I've talked to him several times and um, I wanna know what's the best way for me to help him? And I, I well, um, well, you know, there, I can tell you what I do and, but actually what I've done has changed over the years so um, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, why are you asking me? And she said, well, because I know you've, you've had some contact with homeless people before. You've done some ministries with homeless people. I, I, thought, I thought you'd be the right person to know, ask. And I started thinking about it and I realized, well, it's kind of cool that she asked me, but um, everything that I've ever done that has brought me into caring for or with uh, someone who's been homeless, it's really not been based on real great knowledge that I have of how to do it. It's been based really on the fact that I'm a Christian and I heard this story growing up and I, I just feel like it's a command of Christ. And so I just have seen the need present and kind of jumped in because I thought I was just supposed to and I don't know if I'm doing it well or right. And actually, it's kind of complicated. So I want to think together about this wonderful vision of Jesus and the teaching that is contained there. 
maybe what we really can take away from it, and what we may not be able to take away and may have to worry and figure out and wrestle with for ourselves. The first thing I, I wanted to say to her was, gosh, you know, it's a little bit more complicated than, than you think. There are, there are shelters. You could support a shelter. You could, uh, he, he doesn't want to go into a shelter because he's, he's scared. I talked to him about that. And I said, well, uh, there are other things you could do. There are feeding programs and there are, And the more we talked, the more I realized how we're given a command in the scriptures, but not exactly a lot of instruction on how to do it. And so we're not necessarily told whether or not in this day and age, the best way to help someone is by one-on-one -on -one intervention or by sending someone to a social program or supporting social programs. Uh, is it better to support a food kitchen or to feed a help neighbor. We don't know if it's better to give someone a drink or to make sure that the laws are in place that our drinking water is clean and pure. We don't know whether it's better to welcome someone in terms of being a really friendly neighbor or, or maybe working on laws that, that help immigration be fair. There all kinds of different levels of ways that Christians or any people of goodwill can respond to the kinds of needs that are out there. We're in a world in which it's easy to see that there are sometimes laws and conditions that make it more difficult for people to be self-sustaining. We don't find out from the scriptures whether or not there's a certain point at which you stop feeding someone and teach them to feed themselves or provide them with means to do that. We don't find out in the scripture if, if there's a point at which helping someone can disempower them from helping themselves and encourage dependency. We don't even get a whole lot of help about knowing how to prioritize between the different needs. And so it's easy to get kind of lost in all of the questions. But there's one thing that's really, really strikingly clear from the scripture. And that is that we are to take the needs of persons around us with utmost seriousness as of the gravest importance in our lives as Christians, people of faith, as human beings. It's also clear that we are supposed to care about the whole person. Jesus mentions feeding someone who's hungry, giving someone who's thirsty a drink, clothing someone who's naked, those are things that are kind of related to basic sustenance and life. But life is more than just being alive. We're also called to attend to welcoming strangers, which I think means offering social support, not allowing people to feel outside 
of the kindness and warmth and company of those around them. We're to care for those who are sick mentally, physically, which means spiritual support, practical support for healing. It mentions visiting people in prison, which means providing forgiveness, grace, moral support to people who have perhaps been alienated by their own doing. We are to be attentive to the needs of the whole person as we encounter people around us and look for opportunities to be helpful, to be kind. One of the things that really jumped out at me in this uh, story that I've heard so many times and heard again uh, afresh, it really jumped out at me that both the people who had met the needs of others and those who hadn't, both of them were surprised to find out that they'd been, in effect, doing something that impacted Jesus. Even the people who were doing the serving, the caring, the welcoming, the visiting, they didn't know that they were doing it for Jesus. And I guess one of the lessons I kind of took from that is, you know, sometimes when you're helping others, you get a rewarding feeling from it. Like, oh, wow, that was really cool. I felt a great connection there. Sometimes you don't, but you do it anyway. And sometimes when you're, when you're doing things that are trying to connect with people and make a difference, sometimes you really feel like you've made a difference and you've really helped them move forward. But not always, but you do it anyway. Sometimes you're not exactly sure if you're doing the right thing or the very best thing when you're reaching out to someone in need, but we're called to jump in there anyway. It strikes me that in life, there's always going to be a little bit of ambiguity about this. But what's not ambiguous is that Christ sees who we are by how we care and connect to just other human beings. Another thing that jumped out, me, out at me this time it has before, but maybe even more strongly this time, is that it doesn't lift up any kind of specifically religious criteria at all for who is going to inherit the kingdom. It's not about what your doctrine is, what church you go to, what faith you have or do not have. It's about how you care for and connect with kindness to other human beings. And although I think that there are lots of different ways that we can 
live out this kind of caring and connection. We can be advocates in terms of government decisions. We can support nonprofits. We can volunteer our time. We can give money. It does seem to me also fairly clear that there's some important benefit from the actual service and connecting to people in need. That there's something that we learn about ourselves, about life, about other people, about who we are together that is not replaceable by writing a check, by writing a letter to a, a government official, by being an advocate that there's something that changes us when we actually are part of doing hands-on help as well as anything else. So, Christ the King Sunday, as we get ready to look into Advent when not all that long we'll sing joy to the world about that new just righteous reign coming. One of the ways we prepare for that is uh, through our mission Christmas giving. And I wanna, I wanna make a plug for that. Uh, next two weeks, we will have an opportunity for you to give a gift to someone that is actually the gift of giving to someone else in need. And uh, you'll have an opportunity to choose one of four organizations, uh, just the same ones that we did last year, and we selected these good organizations out of many others uh, for two simple criteria. One, it, it stretches us uh, a little bit past some of the organizations we regularly work with, which is wonderful, like NEMAP and, and others. Uh, we are choosing places that give us an opportunity to make a personal connection and some uh, way with the organization so we know the folks we're, we're giving through and also because they are organizations that are really meeting a need of people who are very vulnerable and marginalized and those organizations are CASA which is the court appointed special uh, appointment advocates excuse me thank you advocates which is uh, an organization that trains uh, with a lot of training, volunteers who will be uh, get to know children who are in foster care and be advocates for them, for their best interest in the legal system as decisions are made about their future. It's a really important, um, it's a really important ministry that gives voice to children in the legal system. We're also uh, pairing up with Stonewall and their program where they are providing for needs of refugees, international refugees, who are fleeing uh, persecution for uh, their support for LGBT community. So David and Roscoe are included in that, but there are also new refugees uh, coming over. One of the choices will be choices. We host uh, a group here, a support group for people who have come through the Choices Program, Victims for Domestic Violence. And the final one will be Shalom Zone. The Shalom Zone is on the hilltop and among its many programs, the core of what it does is 
freedom schools for children um, who live in the, that area. And it is a six-week intensive program that develops leadership skills in them and also does a lot of reading recovery, prevents them from losing ground in reading from one year to the next. So those are just concrete ways in which you can celebrate the birth of the king in ways that befit the kingdom. But I want to give you one other little, very simple thing that doesn't require any program at all. Many of you have um, said to uh, John and to me over uh, the course of time that you think it'd be great for us to have time during the worship service to greet one another and get to know each other. And uh, uh, it's an idea we've uh, talked about and considered, and there are some reasons we think it maybe is not the best idea uh, during the worship service. But it is very much in keeping with the spirit of the season that you, that we all do our part to welcome people who may be unknown to us, who may be new to this community, or maybe just new to us. This should be a place where no one feels like a stranger. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I would invite you, as, as one of your Christmas disciplines, to think about either coming a few minutes early to church, sitting down and looking around for persons whose faces you don't know, or staying a few minutes longer and not necessarily connecting to people you see all the time, but looking for the person whose face is new to you and being just someone who goes up and offers welcome, welcoming the stranger in the spirit of the season. May we all be blessed by growing as people more connected to one another in ways of caring and kindness in the kingdom, which is also the kingdom of God. Amen.